Hi, this is Possessor Moonlight. Hi, this is Freak on Alicia. Hi, I'm Georgia Haight. I'm October Grimsberg. And if you're listening to my disembodied voice, you are on the Bachelor of Hearts Halloween special. What do you boo with an R.I.P.? I'm kill not gore, I bones. I spooked evil jack-o'-lanterns just to boogie man, tombstone. There must be some spider's web for a demon, headless, horrid. It's my only cauldron, honey. Vampire werewolf, mummy. Let your haunted hexes rest in peace and cast us while we depart. From our bat chiller, black cat thriller of haunts. Hell! And welcome back to... The Dracula of Hearts yeah! podcasts. The Dracularette Australia podcast that asks the question, Xavier, what exactly was that? Uh, look, I don't know <laughs> what you mean exactly by that question. I think it was pretty clear. <laughs> that was the Christmas version of our theme song. Now that we're You know, it's nice November, to have Christmas in July. That's right, yeah. Uh, welcome, one and all. My name is Xavier Redditary Boo... <sighs> Jet ski accident leading to my untimely death. New nightmare, aka Wes Craven's new nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm Max. Quinn. Oh no! Joining me is my friend <laughs> Axe Grim. Hi, Axe. I love it. I, I, I mean, I can't. I'm just look. Here you go. You have this. You just. I'm so excited for whatever is happening here. You just. This is all you. Okay, good. Well, we also have a special. Ghost? Wait, I already make that joke later in the script. I can't say it yet. We have a special guest joining us for the first time on the podcast. You may know him as a disc shocky on FBI Radio's This Is A Love Song, uh, as a frighter for Junkie, as well as like bylines at what The Guardian and SBS. And you know, you've got a newsletter called The Underlook. There's a lot of good stuff going on. He is the co-ghost R- callback. To, <laughs> of one of the all-time best podcasts, the Brad Pip cast. He's the dedicated, song-loving, love song dedicator, quibby quality qualifier, the sommelier of slasher slexpertise. He is the CEO of Seeing Films. It's Woe Death Usurp. <laughs> The most incredible <laughs> way that I've ever been introduced. I've never had anything like that before in my life. Um, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Uh, yeah, you, uh, jo- Joseph uh, is with us today. Hello, Joseph. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Where are you? I, it's now clicking into place. In last week's episode, you, you both were talking about kind of freaking out about how early the Bachelorette Halloween episode is. And the, right. the apparatus mm. that has happened on this episode so far is making the freak out make sense to me so far. <laughs> right, yeah. It's not something that you can just kind of uh, stumble into. we got to take this thing seriously. No, I understand. The um, commitment to the bit so far, Zabi, I just, I just want to, you know, oh, yeah. commend you. It falls apart from here on <laughs> in. Really. 
the rest of it is if that felt like solid and well thought out uh the rest gets pretty tenuous so i'm looking forward to that you know much like the tv show that we watched this week absolutely true yeah joseph i want to know like what's your history with this show i i wanted to bring you on because you're a person that i like and i really love your podcast and you're a person who has a lot to say about like film and uh you know, I, I think you've you've taken a lot of time to learn how to pull things apart in interesting ways. But I want to know, like, do you watch Bachelor, Bachelorette all the time? Um, and and how how have you been feeling about this season in particular? And our two Bachelorettes, Helly and Hecky. I mean, I because I've worked in youth media for a while. Even when I'm not watching The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, I always know what's going on. So I have, I have a good reality TV sure. basis and then sometimes dip in and dip out based on how exciting things are. So, so this <laughs> so I'm taking from your appearance on this week that you dip in only yeah, when it's really uninteresting, right? <laughs> and this, I mean, I think, I think I have much of the same things to say about this season as, as you all have said in that it's just, it's such a strange show this time around like it, mm. it's spooky it's spooky, always yeah. a little bit weird right <laughs> it, there's always like the constraints mm-hmm. that we know and love but for some reason there's something slightly mm. uncanny about what's going on this time I don't know if it's because it's there's two of them mm. and it's rushed but I just more than ever I sit there and I'm like I just can't quite place anything that is happening to me when I watch this show mm. Weirdly, watching these two episodes this week, the thing I was most reminded of was watching Borat 2 recently. And I was like, this, is, <laughs> this season feels kind of Borat. It's like, I can't quite tell the line between what is real and what is fake. And it, the artificiality kind of trips me up every time. What did you make of Borat 2? Where do you stand on it? I love Borat 2. I think mm-hmm. I love it even more than more than Borat one, which is saying something. Look, I watched it. Oh, okay. So this is an interesting piece of context for this week's episode Mm. in that Joseph is uh, like me, like a big film person. And I think Max Quinn, this is something that you and I don't really have in common because you are, I want to charitably say that I'm aware of like a handful of movies that you've ever seen. Me too, to be honest. And I don't even, I don't even think as someone who I've watched a lot of films, I don't think there's a huge amount of overlap between the, six movies that you've seen and all the ones that I've seen. <laughs> I was looking because I know that you host the Brad Pitt cast, Joe, and I was thinking about what Brad Pitt movies have I seen? And up until earlier this year, I feel like it would have been a fat zero. Wow. And then I watched Moneyball. Wow. That's an incredible intro to Brad. It's a great one. Like, like Billy Bean's such a fascinating human being in the way that like, advanced metrics and analytics revolutionize sports and i think that um you know mr pitt he seems all right Mm. one of his best performances in that film truly i i think that film is incredible because it's a film about baseball and features barely any of the sport being played yeah totally you see it it right at the end mostly it's just people talking about numbers the whole time but i i wanted to talk to you about like you as somebody who uh, you've said no- numerous times that like if you could watch one type of movie for the rest of your life, and in fact, like maybe you even kind of do, it is like the the 1980s slasher, and that's like sort of an archetypal 
uh, form of movie that has its own sort of structure and, um, you know, key things that you come to expect. And I think we approach The Bachelor or The Bachelorette in a kind of similar way. I wonder if you feel... <laughs> if you are smelling what this rock is cooking in the terms <laughs> of like, is the bachelor kind of a slasher? I had not really considered this before, but it's one of those ecstatic moments where someone just says something and your understanding of the world shifts slightly mm. to the right. Because I think the things that slasher movies are famous for are um, firstly like young, extremely photogenic people falling in and out of romance, which yes. obviously we have here. But I think the the biggest thing is that slashes are, by their formula, about picking people off one by one, right. leading us to one final girl or guy, as the case may be. Mm. And this seems deeply interwoven and not at all a stretch designed to make <laughs> up the fact that the Halloween episode was actually last week and makes uh. perfect sense to me, genuinely. Okay, great. I want to say I um, appreciate where you're coming from. As as far as 80 slashes go, I don't know. I My power ranking would be one Axel, two Duff McKagan, <laughs> three slasher. Incredible. Really good. Really good. Slashes are for everybody. You don't even need <laughs> a slasher to make a joke about slashers. <laughs> Joseph, where can we find you on social media? Can, oh, we, can we cover this off now? If we, we want to um, engage with you on the internet, if we want to listen to your radio show. You can listen to the Brad Pitt cast wherever you find podcasts. Uh, you can listen to my radio show, This Is A Love Song, uh, which streams online. If you just go to fbiradio.com and go to the programs page, you'll find it there. And on Twitter, I'm at Joseph O. Earp. Okay, oh, all right. Well, let's um, not enough baby chat right let's talk about the show where there's no baby stuff happening right yep on the bachelor australia season six episode seven what's the name of the show oh fuck <laughs> on the bachelor at australia season six episode seven no more baby chat <laughs> except for all these adult babies who are looking after robot babies on the babe chiller um, so I was not certain if we were going to be able to pull off a Halloween episode this week because, you know, a lot of the, they did the costume dress up thing last week. They kind of, it felt like they were kind of getting it out of their systems, but then we kicked off with the scariest date that the bachelorette has up its sleeves that it wheels out whenever possible. It's the little plastic baby date. <laughs> so yeah, the men have to look after the kids. They have to do a bunch of chores, I guess, because the mansion is really messy I don't know who does these chores normally. I don't know if they had to create this mess artificially. Not sure. But the men refer to this as a stitch-up and Fraser jokes talk about equality. It's one of those things where the, the show makes something that's been subtext just straight-up text. Right. Yeah. It becomes unavoidable that there is some really weird gender archetype stuff like embedded deep in the show. It made me... It made me feel a little bit weird, not only because, as you say, there's all this like modern woman talk and there's all the men right. seem shocked that they would ever look after a baby, that this is all <laughs> some kind of strange alternate universe where yeah. men touch their own progeny. <laughs> but then it's just more that like even framing knowing what someone is like with a baby took on a slightly strange air for me this episode. There's so much talk about 
settling down means having a child. It seemed kind of weirdly focused in one way. Like there's, there's mm. all this talk about, um, is it Aiden? Like, oh, he's, he's able, I thought he wasn't trustworthy and now I can trust him because, <laughs> because he like heaved a plastic baby around for <laughs> right, a couple yeah, of yeah. hours. Yeah. It's very <laughs> odd. <laughs> so this is Adrian, the steampunk. Yes, and that's right. I, I got some goss. Oh, really? Yeah. So Dave McCarthy, friend of the pod, hit me in the DMs. This is exciting. He's been chatting to Adrian. Really? Yes. And so... I have not been courageous enough to reach out to Adrian. Obviously. Oh, me neither. But beautiful Dave McCarthy was just like, why the steampunk hat, brother? <laughs> I'm sure. Which is so good. I wouldn't have thought to do it. This is great. And he says, I wore that hat because it was to show I'm a little different. I'm confident. And yeah, I love that hat. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to wear it. So is it the goss? <laughs> That's just, there's nothing, right? The goss is just like, he's just cool. He's into it. He's, he's like, like, I'm a little different. I wear a fucking hat. I don't know if you get it, but I'm like a steampunk guy, is essentially what he's saying. <laughs> I don't think that he knows what steampunk is. I think that's the problem. I don't know if I approve of someone wearing a steampunk hat without a proper understanding of steampunk as a genre. It feels like steampunk stolen valor. I think it does. You have to be embedded properly to understand the way that a hat. Yeah, it ends up all like gooey and sl- you, you end up as like Edward Gizzahans. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You said you've only so. seen six movies, but you, <laughs> there's a lot of movies that you've referenced. That's by you. I think you're underselling yourself, Mike. I think that with this baby date, we are kind of setting up a real like camp counselors looking after the kids at Camp Green Lake type of situation. Okay. In the sense that, like, apart from being films where people are being picked off one by one and that sort of thing, I think slashes are also quite moral sort of tales or or they have a moralistic sort of bent to them. It doesn't take a lot of reading into it to kind of go, these people are sort of being punished for like smoking weed and having sex with each other when they should be like, I don't know, more pure or moral or whatever. Like that's, that's a through line through a lot of slasher films. And I think it's interesting to think about that within the context of how people are rewarded and punished for their behavior on this show. Um, because they are sort of being picked off and we sometimes get pretty convincing reasons for why that's happening. But also, I guess, as with any uh, supernatural serial killer or whatever, sometimes they're pretty arbitrary as well. Mm. It feels, again, not to stretch a wonderful metaphor that you're helping me with. It's all I have for this episode, Joseph, so please stretch on. (laughs) The scene where they are sitting watching the guys through the little TV watching them interact with the babies right extremely sore the setup of sore oh that's true real killer is sitting watching goings on through a television screen i didn't think of that but it's true and i and i was sort of struck by the amount of subterfuge that's happening on this season and i think maybe that's a byproduct of not having a lot of time and just trying to weed people out i guess but between this and having their friends pose as drivers and spy on them a couple of weeks ago, you would hope, like, we are getting very close to the end of the show. Like, you would hope that they maybe would have built up a little bit more trust at this point. And it's, 
very strange to think that like we're still like pulling little tricks on them (laughs) at this stage of the proceedings the trickery is an attempt to create drama and it's what i mean that i wish someone just made the call these are not people well suited for drama i mean the, the most the most enjoyable person to watch on the show i think most people think is joe and he's most enjoyable to watch because he is not going to engage with that stuff. Yep. Yeah. And so sure it makes it harder for everyone else because they can't all be Joe and nobody we're like we need a villain. He makes mm. it kind of difficult in that way. Mm. But I do just wish we could lean on male friendship or just something yeah. else to instead of this attempt to be like, what's gonna happen when we watch through the TV? Because the answer is nothing. Right, exactly. And the big point, the, the plot point of drama is like a uh, fucking Fraser leaves the baby by the pool and goes for a swim. And it's like, whatever, this is so this is so nothing. Yeah. And then the show's attempt to create a villain out of that when they're bringing in James and talking about everything that happens at the cocktail party and the, or rather, what is it, a dinner party? I don't, the bullet box is back. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, Elton John. The <laughs> The idea is like, we're manufacturing a villain out of James, who is not even particularly compelling as a villain. He's just an angry man. Yeah. And those things are different. And that's like, again, okay, but exactly as you say, it's not befitting for television drama. And the things that the show is doing are like, they've made the choice to lean more heavily on what they know how to do Mm. rather than adapting to what the people that they've got are good at. And we need to pivot and they have not Mm. pivoted. Mm. We watch Shannon mopping the floor with a huge amount of suds and he starts like stepping through the suds and getting his footprints everywhere. And like, this is played off as a joke, but, and, and I often, you know, I often feel like these dates are like pretty trivial and it kind of doesn't matter, but like, I actually think it's kind of fair to see not knowing how to mop a floor at the age of 30 as a red flag. (laughs) Like, I feel like more time actually could have been spent on this. And like, obviously I think Shannon redeems himself later um, in, in the next episode and he comes off very well. But I also think like if I was watching from another room on a monitor and I saw someone doing this, this is exactly the thing I would be looking for. You're looking for like mopping contests. No baby. Just all mopping. <laughs> like I don't you don't have to be especially good at it. You don't have to be like a speedrunner of mopping. I don't think that's true. I think I I'm looking for someone who all they can do is mop. Like that's all they have. No, it, again though, that's what I mean, right? Like I do just think if you had been like, listen, let's lean in on the mopping. Or mm. just these like I think my favorite bit of this episode is um, like, as I say, these little details, there's that moment where uh, what's his name? Can't remember the word for quintessentially. Oh, Oh, Sam. Yes. And it's just a beautiful human moment (laughs) where you just can't think of the word. And it's like, it lit me up and it feels not to drag Borat back into this. <laughs> but when you watch Borat 2, I think Borat 2 is a triumph of making up a narrative on the fly. That mm. What Sasha Baron Cohen is very good at is looking at the footage that he has and being like, okay, now we have to do this completely different thing because Mike Pence didn't react outrageously enough. So now we're doing yeah. a new thing. And I feel like 
the producers of this season could learn something from Borat too. <laughs> be honest about what the footage that they have. Well, Becky, demonstrating her trademark impeccable judgment, decides to give the extra time to professional mopper Shannon. Um, these are the same distinctive tastes that have guided steampunk enthusiast Adrian through to the final week of the competition. Um, and meanwhile, Ellie makes a pretty safe pick and goes with Joe. He very romantically tells her that hand on heart, I could walk out with you quite easily and you could slot into my life. <laughs> I saw that the, the use of the word, yeah, slot into my life mm. just feels like this is a guy who's like, listen, I make no concessions for anyone. I'm, <laughs> my life. I'm looking yeah. for someone who does what I always do. Yeah. It is that threat of like, I got a blank space, baby, and I will write your name. <laughs> yeah. It's like that I could walk out with you quite easily. It's like, oh my God, be still my beating heart. Like, <laughs> don't say you want to or anything. I guess this is what I, a, a question that I had that maybe as someone who, who is less across reality TV, I do always wonder how much of this is like, what are the, what are you thinking? When you're in that situation i thought it too when uh james goes home at the end and he's in the car and he says something like i really thought she was mm. the one mm. do you, i just th- i guess this comes back to this not being able to distinguish between the artifice and the reality like do you think the whole situation has been so heightened you've been in this weird house in the middle of nowhere you're cut off from people who might make you more sensible do you think you do you are just like thinking on the fly and you do really believe these things or is it just impossible to forget there's a camera in your face? I think that as with all things, it depends. When they do a good job of casting, they find people who seem so ready to buy into this Bachelor oblivion. And I think James might be one of those people. You can see how invested he was in finding out everything that happened with Becky and Joe and all of the tedious drama and the amount of detail for me shows a great deal of investment on, on his part. You know? Yeah. So there's a balance there. And I think the balance is different based on different people and how well they're doing. And it kind of probably shifts day to day even. And also different based on who the bachelorette is and how much the show is getting from them. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we have less reason to rely on, the falseness of drama and the conditions of love that the show is creating when you're not getting this from Ellie, which is, she says, it's about being in a team when you're in a partnership. (laughs) Really cutting to the core of the issue there. Right, right. (laughs) But the show has to lean more heavily on creating those situations of extreme love, extreme drama, bulla box, whatever, when you're not getting what you need from a narrative sense. And we're even more hampered by that this season because the lack of Osha is so noticeable because of like, and you realize how much of the narrative heavy lifting that that man does. This is, this was the fourth time or fifth time this season where one of Ellie or Becky says, now you might be wondering what we're doing here at this date. It's like, mm. God, like, I need some, I need, I need that man back. You need an adult. You need an official to set the stakes. I wonder if it's also that Becky and Ellie have just 
like the two bachelorettes idea i don't think there's any problem at all with that except it results in this weird rushed season where you kind of don't really get to know anyone right maybe their dynamic is not distinct enough because they could they could they just come across as nice friends who like each other they never really offer any there's a bit in this episode in the dinner party where they're kind of saying like oh, Ellie would never like that. But they don't seem to hold much insight into each other's character. Mm, You'd think the dynamic should be, they know each other so well, they're so able to pick out blind spots that the other can't see. And it just, like, never happens. It feels like it's such an interesting premise that is kind of wasted with this execution in the sense that, like, having two bachelorettes is a really cool idea and the fact that they're sisters kind of makes that a bit weird and not work in a number of ways but if they want to continue with that they should have two sisters who more so than other groups of sisters or whatever uh have that level of insight that you're talking about or you know have really key differences that we can identify and that they can sell to us as to why it's interesting that they're both there as opposed to just like it's like the bachelorette is standing in front of a mirror, which it often feels like. Here's my solution. One of them has to dye their hair brown. <laughs> I literally thought one of them has to die before the end of the season, <laughs> is what you're going to say. It's a Halloween episode. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, I mean, Ellie is on her alone time with Joe. Um, she pops her first ever bottle of champagne. This is the second season in a row that a bachelor or bachelorette has not ever popped a bottle of champagne before. Is there any training or preparation for the leads of these shows? <laughs> Lockie, for sure, never popped a bottle of champagne. Ellie, the same way. Tim Hanley, it seems, has never popped a bottle of shampoo. <laughs> is it just the case that you're seeing stuff that would not make the edit in a better episode? If things were better set up, we would not have to show and talk about the champagne at all. These are just like attempts to be like, here's a little bit of human quirk. Yeah, is it just like this is a moment of personality? Yeah, I think so. And and a kind of alien's understanding of what makes people personable. Like if I were to say one of my yeah. favourite things about my friend is that she doesn't know how to pop a bottle of champagne... I would have failed that friend in quite a few <laughs> At the end of this chat, Ellie makes reference to, quote, that really lovely time we had together. And Joe and Ellie chuckle. And Joe says, there was no real reason that it didn't work out. It was just the timing. And I find that kind of interesting, I guess, in terms of, like, my relationship history or my knowledge of relationships in, in the sense that, like, I don't really know what that timing thing means i feel like that is code for something i don't really know what like unless you're literally like in an exclusive relationship with somebody else i can't really work out what it might refer to i mean maybe like joe is really busy with whatever his job is she's moving right like i feel like it's like the timing is she's moving to sydney she's probably just gotten an offer to become the bachelorette yeah maybe that's the that's literally what it is is like no i got offered to be on the show so the timing won't work out until you also come on the show Right. Is it also the show's pure kind of puritanical relationship with sex? Also that. There's been the they wanna talk about Joe because the question is just like, have they had sex? It comes up all the time. It feels like very much what's being hinted at in the flashbacks in this episode. It's the most scandalous and interesting thing in the world. 
<laughs> and I wonder if they want, if, if, if there was just a casual relationship that the show doesn't want to acknowledge because that will just mm. make us all think just about sex and we have to believe that this is about romance, a kind yeah. of a, a great love that was interrupted rather than just a <laughs> hookup totally. that yeah. came back. And it's interesting that we talk about the puritanical relationship with sex on the show because last year we dedicated a whole episode to one of the women calling The Bachelor a dog cunt. You know, it's so fascinating to think about where the show draws the lines about what is acceptable right. and what is not and why is it, it is not acceptable to just say Joe and Ellie had sex or the closest that we even get to someone saying the word sex this season is Fraser saying adult cuddle last week. I was hoping that wouldn't come up again. <laughs> it's the interesting balance between um, trying to make very adult decisions but also um, kind of the what would you say, the kindergartenification? <laughs> I would just call it dobbing the boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, there's a boys chat, speaking of the boys, where Sam oddly kind of just seems to volunteer that it's a big step for him to introduce someone to his family and he's not sure if he's ready yet. Kind of a weird thing to just be like, hmm, I'm thinking about getting sent home this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, Becky pulls up in a vintage car and it seems like the stylist has finally figured out something to do with Becky. She looks really cute in like a 60s sort of like when Stacy inspired get up. Just wanted to spotlight that as a moment of <laughs> light and purity. Um, she whisks away Adrian, who looks very out of place in this very modern, like, fuckboy-looking Hawaiian shirt. Um, and they arrive at a beach, and Becky says she spends all of her time at the beach, which makes me wonder, we don't know what Becky does for work. Is she, like, what, a lifeguard, maybe? <laughs> Is she, like, a police chief or a marine biologist or a professional shark hunter? Horror movies. <laughs> Horror movies, guys. I've worked one in again. <laughs> You're doing great. I Thank think it's, I think it's very impressive. But, and also, I think if we want to stretch it even further, Please. the distinctive thing about slasher movie villains is that we don't really know anything about them. Oh, that's true. And I wonder if that's what's going on here. The Bachelorettes are kind of archetypal Jungian figures mm. rather than sketched out <laughs> human beings. Becky says there are parts of Adrian that remind her of her ex, so she's a little bit cautious. And then Adrian in confessional says, I can understand that she prejudges me because of the way I look. <laughs> the struggle this man has had. Particularly when they all look alike. Like, they all look the same. They're like someone's taken the clone tool and just, like, made however many, you know? Yeah, definitely. Why is he getting singled out? Like, dude. <laughs> you're Imagine not... what point in his life this has ever been a problem for him. But he says, but that's not who I am. I think I'm a very mature big kid with a big heart, kind of like a baby giraffe. <laughs> Uh, and then recapping the baby date, he says that he thinks he'd be a good dad and Becky agrees. Yeah. He'd be a good dad to a friggin' hot air balloon. <laughs> 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 Got him. <laughs> so Which is the sex thing as well, right? This, this show is interested in sex only when we're talking about the production of children. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Procreation. Um, so at the cocktail party, Adrian spots a card, which in voiceover, he says has been left there by Osha. 
Hadrian reads out the card. I, I hate to be this guy. I really don't want to do this, but he mispronounces a few key words and it really bothered me because I watched this episode a couple of times and he gets the word upcoming wrong, which like, okay. And then he also mispronounces bachelorettes, which like, I can't believe you haven't had to say that that often. Anyway, we're not going to linger on it. It doesn't really matter. The card reveals that two men will go home tonight and then we're going right to hometowns. So to help us get there, it's the Last Supper, aka another Buller Banquet, AKA, as you said, another pretty desperate attempt to inject some kind of life or drama into this season. But I'm like, okay, cool. Like at this point, I'm like, good. You know, like let's make some stakes. Like if we have to inject drama in an unnatural way, like, okay, I'm here for it. If it's going to actually work, this can only really be a good thing. There's a box containing anonymous questions, which they will also add their own questions to. And then all the beef and the secrets and the drama will become public knowledge at the dinner table. The skeletons are coming out of the closet, Mm -hmm. if you will. Fraser says, this is single-handedly the most important cocktail party to date. Grossly overestimating the ratings for this season. (laughs) (laughs) Compared to all the other ones. I looked it up because I was curious, right? And this season is consistently getting about... 200,000 fewer viewers per episode than every other Bachelorette season. And like we're in a pandemic right now. And up until a week ago, there was a big chunk of the viewing audience that literally like was not able to leave their homes. Like it is shocking how poorly this is like being received. I um, have felt it in my friendship circles and I've felt it when we live tweet the episodes. It is like really just like in danger in a way. It, is it also dropping off episode by episode? Because it also feels like I sensed a lot more chatter at the beginning mm. and it's yeah. just disappearing. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah. don't you think? Like, we're all talking about how this hasn't been a very good season and that is uh, not just on this podcast. It's a pretty prominent media narrative mm. and so much of what's happening, you know what I mean? There are not even Daily Mail things being written about these men there's not now to love or who weekly or whatever out there doing their research exploring because the narratives aren't compelling so there are no stakes so no one's interested in it so no Mm. one's talking about it but then also like you gotta you gotta look back at the product and go well there's nothing there's nothing to latch onto so no one's latching onto anything and who's to blame for that i think is it also just because and again, this just feels like there, I mean, it's where I want to be generous to the show, that it does seem to me that there are things that are beyond your control. And in a way, it proves to me more than I might have thought how much agency Bachelor and Bachelorettes actually get. They can kind of dictate the narrative of the show. And it does unfortunately mean if you have a, a pair, in this case, of Bachelorettes who want to send the show into very boring places mm. they will just do that you can't stop right. them from doing yeah. that. they will sabotage any attempts <laughs> at narrative but i just i wonder if there's just this there is a sense that it got away from them and it got away from them early due mm. to things like just joe obviously obviously being the most natural and comfortable person on camera and the most likable contestant i don't yeah. know maybe i'm maybe i'm just projecting my own love for joe but it's just seemed from the very beginning like, oh, that's the that's the one guy. And whether whether or not he even ends up being picked, I think like it just frames your relationship with him as a character on the show because 
A, it's a bit of a given that they are getting along very naturally and easily. And so even in those parts, you don't really have to pay that much attention to understand what the dynamic is. Like it doesn't grip you. But also it means that when you're thinking about Ellie's relationships with the other men, you're thinking about it within the context of Joe. And like, you know, is this working as well as Joe does? And um, does Becky, I'm sorry, does Ellie want something that is like Joe or something that is different to Joe and that sort of thing. And to tie a a ribbon around that, like because of the show's relationship and portrayal of sex, we're signaling that Joe's the person that you need to to give a shit about. They have to say that sex is love because the show can't bear to say that maybe sex is also pleasurable and something Mm -hmm. that you have with people you're not going to end up with for the rest of your life. I'm glad we're talking about this because the first question at this, you know, not quite bull of banquet last supper thing is for James and James is asked, what's your fetish? And, um, everyone laughs because sex is funny and we don't want to like seriously engage with the topic in any way with the person that we're starting a romantic relationship with. Um, and James says, this is one of those really weird moments where, like, I feel like we're at a crossroads between talking about something interesting and, um, you know, having a conversation that doesn't typically happen on television and all that sort of thing. And it is instead just like this very flustered sort of like, oh, heavens, sort of like <laughs> moment where James says, you know, when the when the hubbub dies down a little bit, he says, I'm a guy that likes a little bit of dominance and a little bit of intimacy. A little bit hard, a little bit how you're going. I like the soft side too. And I think like everybody is so busy being like comedically flustered and laughing it off so that we can't actually get anything from this. But I was kind of curious, like not that I find James to be like an incredibly charismatic character on this television show, but like if we're going to bother asking the question, like I couldn't work out if it means that he likes being dominant or does he want a partner to be more dominant and like why bring it up if the answer isn't going to provoke any kind of curiosity or any kind of discussion it's more to embarrass james right rather than to serve any kind of practical purpose of having a a conversation about sex on the tv Hmm. it's like haha look at this man admitting his sexual preference do you think that there could be an answer to the question what's your fetish that would just have literally never made it to air is this just like <laughs> one of four ways you could answer that question and it remain in the edit? What you're saying is like this is take six and he's listed off some truly wild stuff. What if he says, what if he says and I'm not laughing because it's, I think it's actually deviant, I'm just laughing because trying to imagine it in the context of Australian mainstream television. Sure. What if he says I'm a furry? Here is my acceptable answer that I think is funny I just thought of, and I'm proud of it, and I like myself more for thinking of it. It's a little blue. It's a little ribald. Ribald? It's a little... It's whatever. I would say, because of the date we had earlier, I would say I'm into, like, baby play. Like, I like to wear a nappy (laughs) or something. I would say, like... It's funny you should ask because just earlier today... (laughs) You have been living my fetish. Question two is for the group. Which guy is your biggest threat here? This is just a pure uh, fire starter kindling sort of situation. I'm sure this is one of the ones submitted by the crew. Um, Pete says Adrian. Fraser says Joe. And James says fuck because nobody picked him. (sighs) 
everybody else is really dominating the conversation here. Mm. <laughs> um, Becky is asked, who out of the remaining boys is Ellie's type? Which is something that you mentioned before, and I think it is a really interesting question that actually engages with the two Bachelorettes format and the sister Bachelorettes format in a way that we see maybe once every couple of episodes. And um, unfortunately, I think they kind of um, pick one lane to go down with this and, th and they just settle on it being not James. Like it doesn't really matter what, what, you know, what we have to say about what Ellie is looking for and that sort of thing. <laughs> Becky gives pretty good reasons why Ellie is keen on all of them except for James. And then we see him swearing and like getting quite worked up and emotional and being frankly pretty rude in my opinion. And then the final question, which is insane because there are oh, yeah. three, but anyway, um, it's for Joe. And this question is, was it really just a weekend away or have you hooked up other times as well? To which the answer is no, it was pretty much just a weekend away. <laughs> like this is, this is what this date and this episode builds towards. And it is essentially asking <laughs> the same question again, expecting a different answer and getting the same answer. It's like watching a movie again and expecting there to be a different ending. It also <laughs> feels the, the James like gradual temper rise feels. And for the most part, I think the bachelorette is well edited. It feels quite naturally edited. It's really badly edited. Him just saying, like fuck over and over in precisely yeah, yes. the same way in a way that really made me have to go back and check if it wasn't the same clip used multiple times. Yeah. Especially cause it's censored as well for broadcast. So you can't hear any delineation in, in, you know, timbre or whatever. Right. And so that's, that's sort of the thing where like, it's sort of like we're expected to believe that this is meltdown for James and maybe it is. And look, we see him behaving in a way that's pretty rude. And we had a whole big chat on the last episode with Shannon about James and men generally and how we manage our feelings in, in complex and difficult situations. But the way that it manifests is like uh, kind of like a less satisfying outcome than the Pascal outcome from earlier this season. Because like with Pascal, we saw like we're standing up for ourselves. We're doing this. This time it was just sort of like, Oh, it turns out James is rude. Goodbye. Yeah. And I think it comes back to this, this hastily drawn metaphor about, um, morality so. yeah about well about slashes and about horror film and that sort of thing and how you know we expect him to be punished for his bad behavior here and so therefore mm. they have to show him behaving badly because he's going to be sent home and you understand that he is behaving badly but I think the way that it is justified is pretty rushed I think like um, they have for the sake of ease of communication cobbled together a lot of clips of him getting more frustrated and kind of being passive aggressive and um, probably in different ways across the whole period of this dinner. Um, but then they've kind of just pasted them together and like you get the idea, but you don't really know what they're trying to say, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. What behavior I should be avoiding apart from just being a grouch, I guess. <laughs> Leaves to the tension often of, slasher movies that slasher movies mm. want to pretend to be moral but often assert their morality by showing you very immoral things that they clearly take pleasure in showing i mean of this course. this is the criticism right of a film like saw that it wants to basically the moral of that film is that you should help people you should be altruistic you should like it's better to be good to other people than bad 
but it makes that point through disgusting, horrible things that it clearly <laughs> takes pleasure in dreaming up and showing. Of course, yeah. Similarly, there is quite, because the show needs James to be angry so desperately by this stage, like it really needs oh, yeah. him to suddenly be the villain. So for it to also pretend, oh, James, how uncouth is this weird kind of double standard of like, we have been waiting for so many episodes for someone to do what he's doing here. And then yeah. the show turns on him as soon as he does it. Right. It's like you're pouring the bicarbonate soda in the paper mache volcano <laughs> and being surprised when it boils over. Yeah. You can't. You well, can't okay, have it both but to ways. be fair, that's like pretty cool. Like it is. <laughs> <laughs> is it freaking magic in there? I felt suddenly affection for James during mm. and after the blow up, which I'm sure I was not meant to. But maybe it's right. just the affection of when you see the bicarb go in and it's it's cool. <laughs> and maybe that's all it was. Like, oh, finally some move on oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is interesting that if if you were to say that this season had a villain, I guess maybe it's James. I think it doesn't really have a quote unquote villain in the sense that previous seasons quite clearly do. Um, yeah. I think maybe it's just partly that nobody has behaved badly enough, really that they can create an arc out of it. Um, James was maybe the most, he had a couple of occasions of like behavior that we don't like, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But like, it is interesting that like, you know, he he's, he's unhappy and he kind of storms off and the show's not particularly interested in interrogating the reason that he stormed off at this point, like we kind of said. And then we cut to the rose ceremony and he is sent home and you know, it's, oh, no, he's not. Oh, no, he is. No, <laughs> yeah, he, he is, is as well as Sam. Yeah, he gets sent home and so does Sam. And it's interesting that Sam is um, kind of just fine. He's been a nice person. He's never put a foot wrong or anything. But then James is the one who gets the, like, little limo exit interview where he expresses that he really thought that she was the one and, like, you know, he doesn't know what he's going to do now and that sort of thing. I don't understand exactly where the show stands on him. And I can understand your reaction, Joseph, being like um, feeling for him more. And um, yeah, I just, it, it creates a very muddied characterization of, of these men. I just, I can't tell if the vibe is, yeah, this is someone who let a dinner party slip out of control. Mm. Or if this is someone who in a bratty self-centered way, acted out in a way that almost anyone would have been able to tell you would not be attractive to most mm. people. I, right. it just, the show just can't properly delineate for me between those two things. I think that what we were aiming for was option, what was behind door number two, right? Mm. What the show was going for in setting this up was like, this man can't help himself. He can't help but get angry. He's going to lose control. Same with like Roxy last season of, of, the, of the Bachelor. Yeah. The, the idea is that like at that point, he's pissed off. He's angry. We're upset. But then what they're trying to do at the end is show us the sad clown, you know, mm -hmm. is show us the like, oh, but he's a man with real feelings and look at how complex it is. And it speaks to exactly what you're saying of the show trying to have its cake and eat it too. And I think that sometimes that's really compelling. Like if you can get someone who is um, emotionally articulate enough to explain how they feel, like this is the first that we've heard that um, Ellie is the one for James, right? right? 
but if we had more of that emotional investment in their narrative, even though there's some weird shit going on with mm. him, and that like if we, if that tension was building throughout the season rather than the tension being assumed on the one side of he's falling in love with Ellie and it's believable and real versus the temperature is rising on James and he's going to boil yeah. over, then it becomes much more compelling, much more interesting. But instead, what it is, exactly as you say, Joe, is confusing because by the time that we get to the end of it, we're like, whoa, he's where they were in love? What was What was all this about? Right. And essentially what you're left with is like the full moon has come out and <laughs> Joseph... You're doing great, Xavier. I believe you. You don't need my help. He's a he's a werewolf of love, something. A werewolf of love. Is it an attempt? Is it just like have they gone mad on power through the flip flop on how we were meant to feel about Kieran in Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise? Mm, That that was so that everyone loved the fact that you were like, this guy looks like. I, he shouldn't even be on this show. And then he yeah. turns out to be lovely. And then he flip-flops again and turns out to be a jerk. And every yes. single step of that seemed exciting to people. Maybe they're right. just like, it was great. Well, let's do that again in, in 20 mm. minutes at the end of right. the <laughs> Yeah, it's on such a micro scale, though. <laughs> List some movies you've seen, just for my amusement. Um... What's the film where John Travolta gets stuck, struck by lightning? Oh, wow. Uh, Phenomena? Phenomena. Oh, I've seen that. I haven't seen yep, that. I saw, yeah, I saw that when I was like eight with my dad. We watched he it. He uh-huh. magic um, by lightning. That's the one. Yep. Recently, I watched the last 20 minutes of a movie that Danny was watching, which was about um, – a wed- wedding, and it was only recent. Olivia Munn's in it. I don't know if I can count this. <laughs> and it was, it had, it was mostly British, but Olivia Munn was in it. And then the way that it panned out was that the um, drunk man didn't ruin the wedding for the redhead woman. So that was good um, because the man who just kept wanting to go to bed um, and fall asleep talked him out of it. So that was, that was pretty good. Sounds um, like a fever dream. I don't, yeah, I can't. I can't, <laughs> I can't attest that this is real. All right, listeners. Hello, it's Max Quinn here, one of your many hosts of the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. And look, I'm in the editing bay. I'm quite far behind, but at this point, I heard that detail that I gave, and I can't, I can't let it go without clarifying what the title of the movie was, and clarifying also that it's Love real. Wedding repeat. Love, wedding, repeat. Wait, Danny, what's it called? Love, wedding, repeat. Thank you. Uh, You can Google it. It stars Olivia Munn. She's the only one that anyone knows, so don't try to do that as like a comma thing where you're going to list others. Olivia Munn and... I'm... I'm... Michael Michael Bondridge. Frida Pinto's in it. She's pretty big. I love her eyebrows. I can't add that to my list. I watched um, The Kissing Booth 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen them. Yep, saw those. There's literally no Uh, crossover yet. Don't don't advise. I don't think that you should, but it was fun. I should watch Remember Um, the Titans. Of any of those those films, I think that's the one I would would watch. Remember the Titans is, is good. Um, what about I've watched Men in Black two and three? <laughs> you haven't seen the first one. 
I don't think so. Oh, Max, it's way better. It's so good. The song's good? Yeah. They play the song in the movie. Oh. Yeah, you're going to love it. Fabulous. Yes. Never, You never get the desire, like, yeah, I'm going to go to the cinema. Like, oh, really? No. I'm going to sit in a cold room and not be able to leave while big loud things happen. <laughs> you just describe, you like, you describe you like a chalk top? <laughs> it's a gig with chalk tops. <laughs> I could look now that you're framing it that way. I can I can get around that. So it's a new you've turned a new leaf, and now it's cinemas all the time. Now I'm yeah I'm just going to be going and sitting in in platinum class. Do you know I did watch one movie in, in gold class, and it was because no one else was in the cinema, and. <laughs> You were like, hey, what's the least good movie, please? I'll have one ticket. (laughs) It was the movie where Johnny Knoxville is a bad grandpa. Mm. Oh, yeah. Great film. Yeah. Great film. Haven't seen it. uh, I think it might just be called Bad Grandpa. It's called Bad Grandpa. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, And then they go around achieving um, mischief with with a small child. I watched that one in the cinema and no one else was there. Surprise, surprise. Am I right in thinking so that that is to the like Borat style, mm-hmm. like a fake, yes. fake documentary sort of vibe? Also not Oscar nominated that film for the Hell special yeah. effects. <laughs> okay. Uh, couldn't sound less excited. <laughs> <laughs> the Bachelorette Australia season six, episode eight. The earliest ever hometowns. Or should I say Halloween Towns? Like from Nightmare Before Christmas. A Halloween movie. And I'm not going to talk about how when you go to... When you go to Disneyland around Halloween and you want to go on the Haunted Mansion ride because that's the spooky ride and they change everything over to Nightmare Before Christmas characters, which is like a cool idea, except why wouldn't they do that at Christmas, which is the Christmas time. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about it. That's famously. Tim Burton is a millionaire because he made a film that can be themed around two major holidays. So you market it twice in the same calendar year. It's a Hallmark movie. <laughs> it's like, Just made to sell, what, gift cards? Yeah, for, for Halloween down. Max, what's your, what's your face mean? I'm thinking that the movie that we're talking about is... Still Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> and the holidays that you're describing are Yom Kippur. Yes, correct. And Easter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Edward mm-hmm. Scissorhands' famous Easter movie. <laughs> That's I watch it every Easter. The other movie that I watch every Easter, um, it says here it's called uh, Hell Night 1981, director Tom DeSimone. Wow. Did you go to yep. like a random movie title generator website or something? No, I've um, decided that I would like to contribute to the conversation about slashes <laughs> um, with this one. Happy Death Day 2017. Good film. Director Christopher B. Landon. Yeah. Good film. He's got a new film coming out, which is um, Freaky Friday, but with murderers. With, with Vince that. Vaughn in it. Looks good. Oh, cool. Maybe. Stabby Saturday. Yeah, exactly. It'll be the seventh movie you've ever seen, Max. (laughs) Yes. So both women are down to three choices each for the first ever hometowns. 
Um, there is a nice moment here between Ellie and Becky where they're discussing having some nerves about meeting the families, which is a very legitimate concern, especially if they happen to wake up strapped to a chair in the basement and while their consciousness will remain in the sunken place, they will be powerless as their brains are implanted into the uh, family's bodies. As is described in the plot of... Here we go. Here the 1982 classic, nope. The Slumber Party Massacre, director Amy Holden Jones. Fantastic yeah, film. film. Yeah. Thank um, you. A yes. feminist deconstruction of the slasher movie. Mm. Extremely Got it. recommended. As recommended by Joseph Erb in his latest newsletter. Yes, incredible. Yeah, wonderful incredible film. film. Max, you're bang on. You've done, you've done incredibly well. Not the reference I was making. I was, of course, talking about Get Out, a film which has uh, black people in it, unlike this show. Um, Joe is up first. We learn that Joe's family will be making the trip from Newcastle to visit them at the mansion. Now, I'm not sure exactly how, because we've talked about this before. The distance between Newcastle and Sydney is insurmountable. Mm. Despite the fact that the family is coming from Newcastle to visit them, um, which I was very distracted because we meet Joe's dog. And I was like, oh, so we're in Newcastle now, but we're not. But anyway, um, he is a mm. fluffy golden retriever named Alfie. Alfie is a very good boy. Um, Joe and Ellie sit in a park and they pat Alfie and he pants and he sticks his little tongue out. Um, there is like really an unbelievable amount of footage of this dog. Like they are, <laughs> I think they've realized that they need something <laughs> to, to capture their viewers' attention. Joe says... It feels like this could just be a normal Saturday morning, which makes me wretch a little bit, but only because I am a cold-hearted Grinch. I don't think it's anything to do with Joe. Um, Joe lists the family members that Ellie will be meeting and reveals that, shock, his mum's name is Karen. One of these <laughs> white people is related to someone named Karen. I'm not surprised. Um Karen and co arrive and they all scrunch up at one of the end of the table and Joe and Ellie like scrunch up at the other end of the table because of COVID. They're like desperately trying not to mention it and they don't show this for very long, but it's just like a funny image. And I think it continues to break down a little bit in this episode in, in some other small ways. No, I think there's the sense in which, as you say, we're here, we're at hometowns, but it doesn't feel like we are because no one spent any alone time with anyone. I don't really feel like there's any dynamic to be played on except for the one pre-existing dynamic that the show didn't even create. Yeah. Like the dynamic is like they know each other from before we all got to do this yeah. and no one else has any idea who anyone is. I wonder if you could multiply that in the sense that like if there were like three or four people that you had previously spent some time with or something, like do we because obviously they have a natural chemistry that's just based on their familiarity mm. but if the entire relationship is not typified by them them being the one person you already knew like what if someone was the bachelor or bachelorette and they had already met everyone yeah. hypothetically I, that sounds good as hell yeah. if the like role call was just like oh my god that's my optometrist <laughs> oh my god that's my dentist like that's my primary school you know you can do it a that's lot. my brother <laughs> yeah you could you that could does feel more. like a late season like a late era truman show like if truman show started to rate badly or something 
They would just be like, here are these people that Truman has met before and they're being presented in a very different context. Yeah, exactly. I would watch a Being John Malkovich Truman Show crossover. Ooh. Wait, how does it work? Talk me through it. Okay, you basically what we're doing is we're extremely gaslighting Truman. <laughs> I know that we're gaslighting Truman to begin with, but we're going so much further and all of the John Malkoviches are there playing different roles in like everywhere Truman turns. So it's a Truman show with just that one scene from being John Malkovich. That's correct. Yes. (laughs) I would also watch that. Sometimes the best ideas are made by people who don't watch a lot of movies and who can come in and synthesize precise connections that we would not have otherwise seen. I think Hollywood needs you, Max Quinn. Yeah, thank you. I agree. I um I plan to get on a plane uh, as soon as I oh, can. Max, I don't and... know. <laughs> I wouldn't rush. <laughs> well, I mean, I but I've got I've got so many good ideas. Yeah. I've just heard yeah, this, yeah, yeah. and I don't think that there are any physical I limitations like preventing me from getting just send the a, side of the world. Send an email moment. or something at this point. Oh, sorry, you're right. Hollywood at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, Is right. that yeah. yeah? That's the one. All right, I'll get out the I'll get out the keyboard. <laughs> You'll get out the keyboard. <laughs> Where's your keyboard? <laughs> All right, no further questions. So Karen seems to approve of Ellie straight away. She knows about her history with Joe. She thinks it's all great, whatever. Jacob, the brother, asks flat out, are you going to pick him? Which is a big move. And Ellie gets quite upset all of a sudden. She says, the hurdle for me is that there are other guys in the running and that's hard for me. She, instead of saying the the thing that is difficult, which is like, I'm not sure yet, or saying the thing that is difficult, like, um, you know, I really like him, but I have these concerns or whatever, like... It feels like a deflection to you. Yeah, a little bit. Is it just a, a game-destroying question because the answer is yes? Yeah. Maybe that is it. That's how it feels to me. Yeah. I just don't know. I, I think unless they're preparing us for, like, the single most disappointing bachelorette final ever because like i'm trying to imagine who it could be if not joe and any wouldn't that just seem like what the fuck was the point of the joe stuff then yeah joe Mm. needs if joe is not going to be selected he needs to either have like a heel turn in the space of about like 20 minutes which would feel wild and i don't know if he can pull it off personally Mm. Mm. I just can't imagine the world in which it's not him. See, I agree, but I almost feel like because it feels so obvious, that can't be it in a way that like, you know, I can sense that they are a good fit for each other. But if the love story of this show is she goes on, reconvenes with somebody that she already met and had a bit of a thing with, and they kind of just get back together, that feels dissatisfying to me as a narrative because it's it has a sense of inevitability i guess to it but also like i have not been accurately convinced that anything has changed i just don't have faith that they could adequately construct another character Mm. in that length of time particularly because when i watch the show the only person i have a grip on is joe Mm. i don't even have a grip on them Mm. but i mean speaking of repeating of notes do you think the fact that they have two bachelorettes means that one of them probably is in a position to be able to pull a honey badger and not 
cause the show too much of a backlash or is that just not possible yeah I I, want I definitely thought that at the start of the season, I was like, what they're doing here is creating a statistical scenario that is favorable to them in the sense that it doesn't have to work for both of them and they can still have a good ending. It feels like the most heartwarming ending could be one of them going home without a partner, but being like, the real lesson was sisterhood. Yeah. Like that feels right. like that could be a way of actually using the sister thing. And that sister is definitely Becky. Right. I was going to say, it, it's so satisfying to imagine that Becky ends up in a relationship and Ellie goes, this wasn't my time, but now she's got more popularity. Maybe she goes on Bachelor in Paradise, something like that. I'm not sure. Or even just like, well, maybe this journey wasn't for me, but you know, I sure, I sure I'm glad I stuck it out and invited my sister back and, you're shaking your head. Oh no, I I disagree. I I feel like the the satisfying outcome for the show is that Becky gets in. Or Ellie finds love. Really? Explain that. Yeah, to me. like I, I I feel like Belly. Belly. Belly my God. <laughs> it's Helly and Hecky. We talked about this. <laughs> the show has invested so much in Ellie. We barely know who Becky is. Yeah. If there's one of the two of them who's going to walk away without choosing someone, might as well be Becky because we're not invested in her. Ellie, we've spent so much time with. That's true. She's the like the hero, the princess of the show this season. She is the bachelorette for all intents and purposes. If she walks away, it will be a disaster. If Becky walks away, no one's going to care. I think it comes back to something that Max just said, that like we're really dealing with a show, and maybe this is one of the big problems that just you could never overcome how much you try. We're basically dealing with a show where we have one bachelorette and also someone else is there. Yeah. Yes. The show just can't handle two. Maybe the format can't handle it. I don't see right, why it can't right. handle mm. it, but it just seems definitely makes me think like you should not try this again. Mm. Yeah. It does not work. And like, what if you did a brother and a sister? That's, That's fun. a good idea. You just you just need something to be like when I'm looking at them, both of them standing together, I'm not just thinking, oh, I've been concussed and I'm seeing double. Because that's all right. I think now. Give me two twins who aren't identical. We'll call it the frat chillerette. <laughs> <laughs> or two twins who pull a, a bait and switch and pretend to be each other oh, throughout yeah. the whole show. <laughs> what if the, the parent trap chillerette? <laughs> yeah. What if the final twist is like you haven't been in love with the same person? You've been in love with two different people. Oh, wow. I love that. <laughs> um, Ellie passes the test with Karen. Um, and the fam, I think like the thing I was talking about before about her crying and that being a bit dissatisfying, I think is like, it's a product of her being under more time pressure than any other batchy in the show's history and her having to make this decision. The speed at which these relationships are expected to develop is already so hyper accelerated that we have mentioned this before. It kind of just strains the credibility a little bit just give me more alfie just god yeah like, bring him back we don't need to keep doing this with these human people the camera could just follow alfie for 42 <laughs> minutes yeah. and have a great time um becky is super excited to see pete after their two harbor bridge themed dates he's excited to give her a taste of adelaide even though the borders are locked off um and this seems to basically just be 
them riding bikes together? Adelaide, famously the city of bikes. Is that what it is? Like, what happens in Adelaide, I guess, is my real question. Adelaide's great. Beautiful hills outside overlooking the city. Good for Adelaide. Becky brags about how she's a better bike rider than her sister and tells a story about a time when they were riding bikes together in Europe and then the bike got caught on Ellie's pants and her pants fell down. I would have appreciated a little more time to be spent on this, if I'm being honest. This was like the highlight for me. They need more pratfalls and they particularly need prat. I really wanted like, we surely we could have some kind of dramatic recreation or something. The jokes are least funny when you just have someone explaining a joke to you. No, if they cut to like black and white footage. (laughs) With like shaky camera, current affair style. Yeah. It would be great. Yeah. Um, Pete says she will be meeting two of his lifelong friends and their wives. Um, he is a wife guy. He was married. Now he's friends with people who have wives. Um, this is also the first time that the show has specifically referred to Zoom, which I think is mildly interesting, especially if you have the same exact kind of brain poisoning that I do at this point. (laughs) Um, what follows is a pretty boring and like business-like chat. Um, Becky says she's very comfortable around Pete and that he's a good egg and his friends chuckle and say, Oh yep, that sounds about right. Becky expresses momentary concern about Pete recently coming out of a breakup. And then Pete's starchy shirted friend says, yeah, it's good to come, uh, to see Pete coming out of it a lot stronger and happier. He's, uh, ready to share his life with someone. And that's, I mean, he asked Becky, if they get together, what will the relationship look like? And and does the work that she makes make it possible for her to travel? And she dodges the topic of what her job is. <laughs> I feel like that would have been a really good opportunity for us to finally learn that. Um, but she says, you know, I've moved for love in the past, but um, I would love for someone to move for me for once. It's about tangibility, I think. And for me, I'm looking at it going... Becky wants this thing and that's fine. It's good for Becky to assert herself exactly as you've Mm. said. But if you are falling in love with Pete and the um, thing that is preventing you from wanting to move to Adelaide to be with Pete is simply that you don't want to move, that needs to be more upfront because you're absolutely right. It's a barrier for entry for their relationship, for the tangibility of the prospects of it. And, if you're super in love with Pete, if you're super committed to the process of being the bachelorette and making this relationship work above, you know, all else, if this is what you're looking for as the thing to complete you, sorry, you got to pack it up and move to Adelaide because this dude's got to look after his brother yeah. you, and, and run his business if you can do your job from somewhere else. If that's not what you want, that's fine. Yeah. Otherwise, what we're being fed is, you know, uh, like this love cereal that I don't, like it goes soggy you know it's, it's gonna go soggy real quick it's also the question of are we looking is is what makes this show exciting the idea that two people who are going to be together forever are meeting or is what this show makes what makes this show exciting is two people who are probably not going to be together forever but fulfill a good narrative arc are getting yep. together yeah that's true and I don't know how invested I am in the idea that these people could be together forever. I think I'm more invested in what would be satisfying. But I think the reason why this is a kind of non-starter of a problem is 
there's no narrative to be excited about. Mm. So we, mm. we do have to talk about the long term past the show, which I think any good series of The Bachelor or Bachelorette should kind of really make you think that the people who go on to continue their relationship after the show ends are not really the same people that you've watched anymore. Yeah. I, like, I think my favorite people on The Bachelor or the Bachelorette are, I don't for a second think that's what they're like in real life or true. that there's anything true about their relationship. And sometimes that's leveled against the show. But I think that's what makes the show good and enjoyable. That like, I'm not, I, it's a fantasy. I don't want to think about how much real life romances are not like this and yeah. how much work they are. I want to think about like, oh, isn't that great? This character type I know is like slotting well with this character type in exciting and unusual that's ways. That's true, yeah. We watch as Pete has a speakerphone conversation with the other couple that we haven't, I guess we mentioned, <laughs> I don't know, um, with the other couple where nothing is revealed except that they didn't have the budget for a pro Zoom subscription for the hometown dates. <laughs> um, Pete is asked if he's falling for her and he says he's on the way, which essentially means he's acknowledging that he has signed up to be on the show. <laughs> um, and he says today was a big step since he doesn't often introduce a girl to his friends. Max, I think you had the best tweet about this. He was married. Yeah, exactly. Of course he doesn't. You don't introduce a lot of people to your friends. If you have been married for 10 married years, for like you don't introduce a girl to your friends every two weeks. If you, uh, uh, do you know what I mean? Like you were engaged, you're married for 10 years. You don't have not had the opportunity to do this. Stop it. It's one of those great things of being like, oh, yeah, low you read between the lines here. Of course not. Um, Becky has the final hometown date for this episode with Shannon at his brother's house, a.k.a. an Airbnb. Um, I, I only say that because it's like literally not decorated. Like it's the most plain house you've ever seen in your life. Mm. Um, Becky walks up to greet him saying Mr. Polynesia himself and he laughs kind of wearily as if like hoping desperately that some other aspect of his personality will be noticed and mentioned at some point <laughs> he's got this real like I think he even furrows his brow a little bit he's just like <laughs> <laughs> it's really she's funny. definitely just read the cue cards on Shannon to remind herself Polly, who, who he yeah. is um, Shannon says the following which I found somewhat confusing who you're meeting today, you're meeting two of my brothers, Dwayne, his beautiful wife, Tegan, and my other brother, Clayton. So what we have in that sentence are two things. He says, two of my brothers, implying that he has many brothers, but then he also says, and my other brother, Clayton. How many brothers does he have? We know he has a lot because he showed up with a lot of them to do the haka at the start of the series. So then why did they pipe in him saying, and my other brother? <laughs> I want my money back. Shannon, much more so than the very laid-back Pete, seems to be very loved up standing next to Becky. You can tell that he can't keep his eyes off her and he's energized just being near her. Um, and there's a lot of focus on how much the family loves Shannon. His brother Clayton says, I'm really happy for Shannon. I can tell there's something between you two and it's awesome to see my brother happy. And then Becky seems to very suddenly start to interrogate the reality of the situation for what feels like maybe the first time. She tells Clayton that she does have feelings for the other guys and in voiceover she says, my heart is racing, but I feel like, I'm sorry, she says, my mind is racing, but I feel like in my heart I know what I have to do. 
this for me was a bit of a surprise. Um, not that I have constantly been overwhelmed by the passion between Shannon and Becky, um, but like it doesn't really seem very different to the other relationships. I don't get more enthusiasm from anywhere else, really, with Becky. The way that I would rank it, and this is why it was a surprise to me, is that I would go Pete number one. I think they have the most chemistry. I think they'll end up together. Mm. Shannon number two. Adrian number three is a clear, like, clear last place. Yeah. But what she's saying is that she's valuing Adrian more highly than she's valuing Shannon, mm. which seems to go against her character a little bit, or at least what the show has given us to go off about what she is expecting from a relationship. She's older. She's ready to settle down. She wants all this stuff. Why is she in love with the um, party boy steampunk? Mm. I wonder if it is that thing that we talk about sometimes where it's easier to send somebody home that you maybe like a bit more before the very end because you're saving them that, you know, like obviously it's a, it's a great thing to be able to send someone home at hometowns because Mm. while it doesn't seem to really shake him, like he seems to confront it pretty well, I think Um, it's a gift that you're able to give as the batchy to say, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm not going to take you to the rose ceremony. I wanted to do this now, like go and be with your people and that sort of thing. Mm. Is it always painful? Do you think it has to be painful? I wonder if there's just like a very deep psychological fact that even if you're not interested, even if you're only playing a game, even if you're the most cynical possible bachelorette contestant, Mm. being like, it's not you, just always would suck. It would always make you be like, fuck this shit, even if you don't (laughs) care. Like... There's this, they do this basic psychological test where you're part, you, you sit down and you play this computer game where like two computer characters, they throw you the ball and then you throw it back to them. It's like very stick figure. And then after you've been playing for a couple of minutes and you're meant to have gotten bored, the stick figure ju- just starts throwing the ball back to themselves and cutting you out of the circle. And psychologists note, even in that situation, people are like, fuck this. I hate this. Fuck these (laughs) people. So I wonder if it's the same thing. Mm. Becky has a chat with Dwayne and Tegan next and says, it's been a weird process. Tegan says she can tell there's chemistry between Shannon and Becky and Becky sighs. Dwayne says he can tell that Shannon has feelings for her and she sighs. She says, yeah, well, I guess... For me, I've got three guys and I've got feelings for multiple people. To be honest, I'm trying to get there with Shannon and I I don't know what to do. I think it's interesting that she is kind of testing out the breakup on the family first. Yeah. Like she's giving it a road test. This is fascinating because you don't want to tell the family before you tell the boyfriend that you're breaking up with them. But this might be the exceptional circumstance where we're on TV, it needs to happen in a prescribed order and we need the other people to be clued in about what's happening before it happens. Mm. I think it's also interesting that from my memory, this is like the most immediately welcoming, encouraging and open family that we have seen in hometowns for like as long as I can remember. Yeah, Shannon's family rules. Yeah, like they're, they're so on board. There's no one that tries to be like, 
yeah, but are you good enough for them? Or, you know, there's <laughs> every single time there is a character like that who who doubts the formula and they say, this will never work. You and, need to watch out for my dad. Yeah, and it, like it's yeah. weird that you would try and find love. Like we saw it earlier this episode. We'll see it again next Joe's week. Brother, yeah. But it is something about that. It is integral to how this conversation goes that that is what unlocks this for Becky. And she realizes that that familial love that that he has and that support is not the same or you know she can't picture that well, i don't know i don't want to put words in her mouth but like it is the strength of that no relationship. put some there feed her right. some um aubergine um portugal um <laughs> turquoise um uh, uh, uh um ginger dead man i was trying to think of a horror movie <laughs> <laughs> Ginger Dead Man. That's that's the Nightmare Before Christmas working title. <laughs> that's true. Um, but yeah, I think it's like this is a, a fascinating dynamic that she kind of realizes that she has to break it off because of what this this relationship is like and this family dynamic. Mm. Um, she starts to tear up as she tells them that she's made up her mind, and then Dwayne, the brother, gets a confessional as well, where he as well begins to tear up, tear up, not tear up. Begins to fucking tear shit up. Begins to fucking cut it up. Fuck her if she doesn't like my brother. Um, No, he says um, (laughs) Shannon comes from a good family. We're here from for him. He'll be all right. And I was like, I am actually feeling something during an episode of The Bachelorette season six, and it feels good. And it's not coming from any of the contestants. (laughs) That's right. That's a good point. But I mean, it. But it's because. They have stripped away the heightened, um, you know, almost surrealist like level of drama and um, reality TV artifice and stuff. And it is just about actual dynamics between people, which it's the goal of this show to get to that point, you know, to, to make you feel like uh, there are human emotions coming out. But Mm-mm. I think it so often gets distracted in trying to create them that we don't often notice them when they're actually here and it can be nice that feels like the lesson of this episode like we can really have a lot of nice people being nice to each other and that is a perfect perfectly valid way to make reality tv and even when it's sad it's still nice as we see now right so becky waits out the front for shannon to wrap up with his family um telling the cameras that she can't put him through a rose ceremony when she knows what she has to do yep I like that, but I'm also like, does that mean that all the other rose ceremonies were like on the spot decisions? But anyway, maybe sidetracked. Um, Becky says, meeting your family was so incredible. They're such nice people. And they were saying how good we look together. But for me, there's definitely friendship there, but shit, like, I don't know. I'm not sure if, and he pulls her in for a hug. He says, don't be upset. You're just being honest. If you're falling in love with somebody else, who am I to get in front of someone else falling in love? And this is like really unexpectedly good shit. Um, it's great. How could I not be happy for you? And I'm happy for whoever it is. We're just being honest with each other. This man. Yeah. This is just. We're, this is Look, I've felt like uh, Shannon was a bit of adult earlier this season in the way that he was portrayed. And this is the surprise. This is the about face for me where I was like, cool, here's the character development that I wish I'd seen earlier. Mm. I wish I knew more about him than 
just that he didn't know how to mop a floor and that he laughs at his own jokes, you know, because like that would have made this even more impactful. But based on everything that we've seen in this episode, this is my second favorite episode of the season, I think. And it's for the reason that what we see from Shannon is genuine human vulnerability, being able to express something complex in a way that is not for the cameras, you know, Mm. like in a way that feels real and in uh, like an emotionally aware way that also presents him in a fucking fantastic light on the television. And what you get the sense of is that that's just who he is because he's not, he's reacting in the moment. He's doing it in a way that is like raw and spontaneous. And that to me in the, to draw the parallel, the exact opposite of the way that we saw James being portrayed as just losing his shit and not being able to handle it Mm. when, you know, this minuscule detail about a relationship came out from years ago and jealousy and all this kind of stuff. Shannon's like, cool, I get it. I accept it. I know what we're doing here. And also I'm here for you. And that is, I think, beautiful. And you see also, let's draw the comparison with Lockie and Bella here because this is where we see someone comforting the person who is dumping them and we've seen it twice and then we saw Bella swiftly turn when she realized that Lockie had told her that he loved her and then fucked her off Mm. here Becky gets to the point she's like okay cool I've realized that I'm not in love with you I need to do this right away I'm doing it now let's go and she does it and he's like cool I get you and this is what human communication is this is lovely and raw and vulnerable and I think that the emotional awareness of Shannon is what is going to make him hot property if paradise is ever to return if we have something like uh shannon as the bachelor in the future right it also feels like it's not only someone being honest about themselves and what they want it also felt to me like an honesty about the show yet it was Mm -hmm. like listen we cannot fabricate drama here we're just saying that like these are real people it, it, it feels like an acknowledgement of the fact that like, yeah, this is, there have been a couple of non-starters and rather than trying to drag this out, we're being honest about how we feel and, and what's happening. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Um, and like I was saying before, it is this respectful thing as well of just being like, you can go inside and you can hang out with your family. And I think it's good for her in the sense that she can walk away and move on and put it behind her. And I think it's also really good that, they don't have to try and edit Osher into the end of this episode. So th- whoever works yeah. in that department gets to have a week off. It's beautiful. Osher gets to just like do his bike riding Twitch stream. That's right. For like a more <laughs> Except for All Hallows Eve when <laughs> spooks and go- ghouls and goblins come out to play. And then they do here on The Bachelor of Hearts podcast joseph thank you so much for joining us savvy we're at the end of the episode aren't yes we? that's right yeah thank you yeah. so much for um for coming to our podcast joseph it's been a long time coming um repaying the debt of of um having me on your wonderful podcast can you please tell the people where they can find all of your very good stuff you can go to my twitter as i say joseph over or you can find the brad pitt cast literally wherever you get podcasts you should really listen to the recent episode with Xavier where we did two hours and like five minutes on a film called Sinbad that maybe we are the only people who have actually seen this film. Yeah, <laughs> we're certainly the only people who have ever done a podcast about it, which I was very proud to learn. 
and and particularly for that many hours. <laughs> mm. Well, I think what we've learned here is Sinbad, Bachelorette, good. Very true. You know, Xavier made a very similar joke on our podcast. So oh, I love the, that. The two of you are made for each other. Birds of a feather here on the BOH pod. Well, thanks again, Joseph. I'm so glad to do a Halloween episode on to record it on the 1st of November about a show <laughs> that is, did its Halloween stuff a week Hell ago. Yes. <laughs> Wahahell, Xavier. Wahahell, Maxi. Another friend made. Another friend in the bank. Cha-ching. You know, sometimes I go down to the friend bank and I make a deposit. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I mean, um, I already knew Joseph, but I'm glad to introduce you to. I think he was a lovely guest. What a wonderful fella. Um, what a perfect episode. A uh, little frightening, though, I might say. Yeah, I got to say, my uh, my spine is chilled. Mm. My bones are uh, shaken to their very um, marrow. I'm certainly tingling in places that I'm normally not tingling. Me too, baby. And I kind of like it, honestly. <laughs> um, another thing that I kind of like is making new friends. And uh, look, that's actually what we came here to do. So if you would like to join our wonderful community... Um, we will be very, very happy to have you and, and please come on by to the Bachelor of Hearts Osh posting group on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on social media at B-O-H pod. Um, you can find me on socials and on Twitch at Xavier RN. Um, Max also uses the computer. That's right. Yeah. Um, you can find me at, um, Sonos Manufacturing, wherever you get your products. Excellent. And and you're completely wireless, is that correct? That's it. Yeah, I'm not plugged in in any way, shape, or form right now. So, uh, yeah, look, great deals. Uh, use my code, MaxQuinn, wherever you this get good lie. podcasts. Okay, uh, thank you yet again for tuning into the pod. I want to shout out the Zaveheads, uh, a.k.a. the Pumpkinheads. Um, and uh, we will uh, we'll talk again very soon for our finale episode, which is going to be next week. That's it. And uh, Listeners. I cannot wait. We love you. Good boo. Good boy. <laughs> Just came up with pumpkin heads. The final. Running out of time. Make the most of what's before me. Searching for a sign.